Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. As always, my name is Adam Burns. I'm the, one of the hosts for this series and joining me, of course, my co-host, the lovely Mr. Courtney Pye. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? You okay? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, we thought we enjoyed the episode the other day so much, we're going to give you some extra content. So I hope you enjoy what we're about to offer. Yeah, absolutely. We're certainly up in our content game. For those of you that have been following us for a little while, we usually post episodes weekly unless something big happens. And uh, in a way, something big has kind of happened. Now, of course, if you are watching this episode and you haven't seen last week's episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, make sure to check that out. It's a really, really thought-provoking debate on the future of F1 engines and, of course, what Red Bull's future is going to be following the departure of the Honda team as a power unit supplier from 2021 so make sure to check that out that's on the youtube channel and of course it's live on all major podcasting platforms so make sure to have a look at that one as well so of course the reason why we're doing an episode this week guys is we've got some news on the f1 2021 calendar now as you know this year the calendar very much heavily revised from what we were expecting owing to the covid19 outbreak and as a result we were expecting uh, a more uh, you know, a, a more normal F1 calendar, I suppose, or what we were expecting, something similar to what we were going to have, I should say, getting my words completely crossed there. But uh, reverting to type, I think was the phrase I was going to use on that one. And as I mentioned before, F1 very, very recently, a couple of days ago, or yesterday, I should say, unveiled their 2021 provisional calendar. I should say provisional because they're still subject to some changes. And um, having a look at the calendar, Courtney, looks a lot more like the calendar that we were expecting. But however, there are one or two emissions. We'll go through those. But first things first, Courtney, what do you think of the proposed calendar? First things first, it will be a 23 race season, although 22 of those races have been announced, which will be a record for a Formula One season. We've never had that many races before. But as I mentioned already, um, what, what do you think of the calendar? Are you happy with it overall or do you feel that perhaps it's lacking some uh, more of the more exciting races that we've seen this year yeah I mean as a fan you want to be seeing as many races as possible so yeah it's, it's fantastic to see potentially 23 we'll certainly be busy next season so um <laughs> you know that's that's another positive 
but yeah, no, the, the point you just made about some of the circuits, I, I don't know, some of the, I'm, I'm going to sound like an old man, Adam, but some of these modern circuits, they, they're not really to my liking. Like some, some of these modern circuits, they have big runoff areas or for me personally, I think some of these modern street circuits, minus Singapore maybe, I find them to be quite boring. The Grand Prix don't tend to deliver. I like the old-fashioned circuits where you've got, within reason, some gravel traps, you know, circuits where if a driver makes an error, they're going to be punished for it. And they're, and they're the type of circuits like like Imola, for example. Like for me, Imola is almost the perfect circuit. It's got the history. It's got the challenge for the drivers. It's, it's got, as we saw with George Russell, if you make a small mistake, you're going to get punished for it. The only, only issue with Imola is that the track's narrow, so you don't get much overtaken. But apart from that, they're the type of circuits that not only the fans enjoy, but the drivers. And they're the, type of, they're the type of circuits that you really want to be seeing. But with some of these modern circuits, like we've got one coming up next season, possibly in Saudi Arabia, and it's yet another street circuit. Is it really going to add to the season in, in a way that we really want to be seeing? That's true. And uh, I'm glad you brought up Saudi Arabia. Of course, for those of you that don't know, F1 recently announced we're going to be having a street circuit race in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia. Now, we'll talk into some of the more controversial uh, circumstances that will be faced regarding the Saudi Arabia race that has been apparent to the Formula One community for a little while. This is no shock. We were always expecting a race to happen in Saudi Arabia and given the amount of sporting events, a huge sporting events, I mean, we're talking... Barcelona, I think Real Madrid played a friendly in uh, Saudi Arabia. We had the uh, WWE Wrestling has been having an event there every year for a little while now. Anthony Joshua won back his World Heavyweight Championships off Andy Ruiz Jr. in that match in Saudi Arabia as well. So, you know, these sorts of events have been happening and Formula One being the global brand that it is, was never going to stay away from Saudi Arabia for too long. And um, as I said, we'll, we'll get into the more controversial reasons as to why this may not necessarily be favorable but going back to the point you were making Courtney about the modern circuits that we're seeing or newer circuits being introduced versus the old classics that we've seen quite a few this season on the Canada and they certainly delivered I mean I never expected the Imola race based by its characteristics being a narrow challenging circuit with a lot of gravel tracks and not many runoff areas very very unforgiven if you get it wrong um, incorporate that with the modern day Formula One cars, which are very, very wide, very difficult to follow uh, owing to the turbulent air and obviously the complexity of the aerodynamics. It doesn't really uh, look like a great recipe for fantastic racing. However, we ended up being we ended up being treated to a brilliant show in part by a lot of different factors and the track itself certainly delivered. And I think Imola has been knocking on the door for a long time to return to the Canada since 2006 and it got an opportunity to showcase why it's still regarded as one of the most uh, favoured circuits on the F1 Canada for F1 fans new and old. So, you know, it's those characteristics you mentioned, the gravel trap, the lack of runoff areas, that extra challenge. I mean, I'll be honest with you, as much as I hate hearing the drivers whinge and cry on the radio about track limits and everything else, quite frankly, I'm very old fashioned in that. I'd be like, well, the track limits are set. If you can't do a good lap in those track limits, well, tough, because there are 19 other guys that seem to be able to do that. And the drivers always seem to love those kind of circuits. I mean, look at Portimao, a track not designed 
for Formula One. A track originally was designed for MotoGP and some other support series, recently got its A1 license to potentially host an F1 race, and we got an absolute classic. We also got one at Mugello as well. All right, for different reasons, but we still got one nonetheless. So it's the added challenge of those circuits where, as you mentioned, the lack of runoff areas make it more difficult. I mean, we're talking about 20 of the best drivers in the world driving some of the most complex machines that we've ever seen in motorsport. In short, it should add up to a great show, whether or not you get overtaken or not. Just watching the drivers, particularly on Saturday at Mugello, I don't know about you, Connie, but that was one of the most enjoyable qualifying sessions I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Not just for not for the drama, just for the fact that you were seeing cars literally being pushed to the limit on a track that literally demands perfection. Otherwise, you're going off into the gravel trap or you're using your lap. And it must be such a thrill ride for those guys. It's a driver's circuit as is the next track that we're going to in Istanbul, Turkey, another classic as well, a, a track which... So, sorry, Adam. sorry, Adam. So Turkey is a prime example. And if you've watched previous episodes, I am a Turkish Grand Prix fanboy. I absolutely love the circuit. And the reason for it being is that it has a series of, of corners, varying corners, like particularly Turn 8 is iconic. But for me, again, for me personally, for... For a racetrack to be good, you'll have a series of corners where it'd be fairly difficult for a driver, particularly if he's following a guy behind. But following those series of corners, they have a proverbial carrot waiting for them, which will be um, an opportunity to overtake. You have not only the pit straight, but there's probably two two areas in Turkey where you could probably overtake. And that's probably going to lead up to a brilliant Grand Prix. So Turkey is the prime example. And even if you look at Portimao, you have... You have a series of, of tight corners towards the end. And then once they're past that, they have a decent opportunity to overtake in the DRS zone. Mm. So that's why these type of circuits, for me, and I'm sure for many other fans, that's what we'd love to see. I personally don't like these, these tight street circuits where, barring maybe bad weather or uh, a lot of safety cars, the, the results decided by qualifying or turn one on Sundays. You know, like, you look at Monaco, for example. Like Monaco has, obviously, the history, the spectacle itself. Saturday, the, the, the qualifying is the best. So it's probably the best qualifying session of the season. But Sunday, barring maybe rain again, it's all decided by turn one. It's just a bit of, uh, you're just watching a train, really. So yeah, that's why yeah. the old circuit, they are. They're a lot more, um, the old circuit is where you can, where it's not only challenging, but you have opportunities for to take. You need to get that balance right. No, no, no. I think you're absolutely right to point that out. And uh, I think F1 has been a victim of the fact that, especially this season, that unless it's Lewis Hamilton, oh, sorry, unless uh, I should say Lewis Hamilton, if Lewis Hamilton is the driver that gets into turn one in first place, no disrespect to him, but the race itself would probably be quite boring, at least as far as the battle at the front is concerned. And I think, unfortunately for fans, uh, myself included, the battle for the lead usually you'd want it to be the highlight who's going to win and for the last few years now we've held on to what has been an entertainingly brilliant midfield battle the best of the rest if you like you'd usually get the two mercedes all right until this season the ferraris were there as well on occasion at least one of them was and max verstappen in a red bull everybody else fighting for their lives to finish in sixth or seventh place as if that was the same as winning a Grand Prix. And that's where the action was. And that's where the fanfare ended up being shifted because of a culmination of circuits that just don't deliver great racing. 
and also cars that are just so wide and difficult to follow, you end up being in an impossible position as a broadcaster trying to make diamonds out of out of complete rough or diamonds from the rough, if you like. Um, you know, it, it's one of those situations where I think when you make the rule changes, you always have to focus on trying to make the cars as good as possible in terms of the racing. After all, it's a show for the fans. And, you know, aerodynamicists and engineers are always going to be designing cars with the concept of making them the absolute best in clear air, i.e. leading from the front. They never design a car to follow other cars. This is why Mercedes, people say Mercedes can't follow other cars. Well, or it's the worst at following cars. I said, well, I'm not surprised because if it's the best car aerodynamically, it's got the most uh, drag. It's possibly got the most drag on it. May, may not. But it's also going to be the car that's affected mostly by turbulent air because of how aerodynamically complex it is. So on small, tight tracks like Imola, like Mugello, uh, like Portimao, with the exception of the long back straight, you're always going to have those issues. And on modern circuits, as you've mentioned, with the uh, runoff areas, street circuits as well. I mean, remember Valencia? I mean, don't get me wrong. The 2012 Valencia Grand Prix was an absolute classic, but let's be real. Most of that was down to safety cars. The fact that Alonso came from 11th to win and Sebastian Vettel had engine failure or had a failure with his car. If none of those components had entered into the race, artificial components, if you like, or unforeseen circumstances, it probably would have been a boring street race. And that's the factor. Monaco is another one. I mean, we love Monaco. It's a great spectacle, but let's be honest. It's the spectacle that people want to see. How many classics do you see at Monaco? Other than, I mean, what's the last time you saw a classic at Monaco, perhaps? I mean, the last couple of years have been pretty good. Ricardo's brilliant drive. Yeah. The win for Red Bull, his final win for Red Bull before he announced he was going to Renault. Um, just thinking a few off the top of my head. Uh, Jano Trulli's first win in the Renault. Is. Yeah, exactly. And also Senna yeah. Mansell. I mean, but that's yeah. for different things, just watching the defensive driving. But let's be real. If Mansell was on any other circuit in the world, the chances are he probably would have beat Senna in that race. So, you know, there's certain elements to it that I feel that F1 do need to revise for the future. But as we said before, cash is king in Formula One and not implying that a lot of these places have uh, F1 circuits purely and simply because of the money. But it's very hard for circuits like Imola or Portimao, or even places like, um, I was trying to figure one on the top of my head, like Donington Park. Great example. Couldn't put Donington Park in 2010, had a contract for a decade to host the British Grand Prix, but because of the lack of funding to complete the renovation project that they had, the, uh, the contract was scrapped and they went back to Silverstone. But all purely because the BRDC didn't want to pay the um, inflated fees to host the Grand Prix uh, when Bernie Eccleston was running. Yet a track like Monaco, is a paid race. They don't pay to host a race in Monaco. It's there on merit or, or there as a spectacle. So, so many different circumstances. Obviously, we'll get into more of those, but um, I suppose the original talking point in the discussion, Courtney, with Jeddah, um, obviously we can talk about a bit more now, but um, I mean, as far as street circuits go, Courtney, what would you say would be your favourite street circuit? I mean, you might have hinted at it already, but um, what would be your favourite street circuit? Yeah, I'll probably say Singapore, but I do believe that Azerbaijan has already given us a classic or two. I, I do, I do like the, uh, the well, what seems to be a never-ending straight right at the end and the uh, obviously the beginning of the circuit. Like that always delivers. Um, 
That's what I mean. So street circuits like Azerbaijan are decent. And Singapore, Singapore does tend to live. And it's also the humidity with Singapore, which offers, shall we say, a new technical difficulty for some of the teams. That kind of usually breaks the usual pecking order. Mm. Um, but yeah, some, some, of the, some of the street circuits we've had, barring those two, have been quite bland. It's the unique kind of characteristics, I suppose, of those circuits that really make it interesting. Yeah. Singapore, by nature, is a street circuit, but it's much wider. It is much more fun to challenge. That's sort of figure of eight design layout. And the fact that it's at night as well, it just adds something to it. It's, it's almost become one of the jewels in the uh, F1 crown. I think there's like five races of the season that they consider to be like jewels. I think Silverstone, Monza, Spa, Monaco and Singapore. Like the elite races that everybody really wants to win more than others. Um, and yeah, the fact that Singapore has joined that elite class of races on the calendar, certainly my favourite street circuit on the calendar, and probably will be for some time, uh, does show that it can be done. Street circuits can be done well. But there are elements to street circuits that we are seeing a lot more and more these days. And that is that long straight that you mentioned in Baku. It's like the main characteristic. And of course, the tight castle section that has taken out many drivers, including Charles Leclerc uh, at last year's Grand Prix in 2019 in qualifying when he looked the fastest in the track. So uh, the old I am stupid moment, for those of you that won't remember that. But, you know, so street circuits can work. I don't know what the design layout for Jed is going to be. I'm sure we'll learn more about it, but I'm pretty sure they're, pretty, they're probably well on their way to finishing that. But another race that we should talk about, a street circuit, is the uh, Vietnamese race in Hanoi. Now, from what we've seen, or for those of you that have already seen the calendar, would have noticed that the slot where the Vietnam Grand Prix was supposed to be in April is not included, is to be confirmed. This is because that race has been removed from the calendar. And that was quite a shock because they were all raring to go last year. Of course, before COVID hit, we were expecting a race in Vietnam. Didn't happen. And uh, obviously it was such a shame for the country because they were really gearing up to have a Formula One race. It was going to be a hallmark moment for the country didn't happen last year this year it's not going to happen again from what we understand and very strange reasons as to why this is so bear with me um, because I was looking at a quote on the BBC website regarding this story and uh, so if it looks like I'm reading from it it's because I am um, because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head but I'm just reading it on my phone now guys so uh, if you can see the reflection of the phone in my glasses you know I'm reading from that (laughs) but uh, basically what it says is that the removal of Vietnam which at the time was the first new event introduced by F1's new owners, Liberty Media, because shows how long ago they've been trying to get on the calendar, has been triggered by the arrest on corruption charges of a key official responsible for the race in Hanoi. Um, Hanoi People's Committee Chairman, uh, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, Nguyen Duc Chung, was arrested in August for alleged appropriation of documents containing state secrets. Now, this case wasn't related to his involvement in the Grand Prix, and he, but even though he was a key figure in getting the race in Hanoi, it's clear that Liberty Media are not wanting to associate themselves with uh, government officials or officials in, the, in those circumstances um, that are under this level of scrutiny, whatever reason. So the race itself has been pulled for this season. Doesn't mean we're not going to get a race in Vietnam. We may get one in 2022, but this situation does raise a possibility that the, it may never happen at all so what we've ended up guys is a situation where for those of you that have played the formula one game 
will know that we've effectively got the possibility of actually racing on a circuit in a game that we'll never see in Formula One in real life. So uh, obviously, Courtney, I'm going to have to ask you, I mean, I don't know, how much did you know of the Vietnam track? Did you ever race on it on the F1 game? No, I mean, I've, I don't actually have the latest uh, Formula One game. I consider this a point on your face, Adam. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, it, they tried to, if I, if I remember rightly, they tried to collaborate features from famous circuits and put it into one, if I remember rightly. Um, I think they, they, I think with this track design, they were aware of the uh, the stigma attached to street circuits that we've already mentioned. So I think they tried to break it up by putting in sections from circuits that, have, shall we say, worked in the past. It's a shame that um, we've never seen it in action. So we say because you can never really fully simulate how a race is going to be unless you have the cars going ham and tong on the actual track. So I guess we're going to have to wait to see until, well, another season or so. But you don't want to knock the circuit before we've given it a chance. So it'll be interesting to see how it is when hopefully one day we'll get to see the cars um, in Vietnam. Yeah, I mean, the the actual moment of, or the actual image of seeing Formula One cars in Vietnam, given the proud history of the country, uh, particularly in the 20th century, would be something pretty special. And uh, I've never been to Vietnam myself. I'd certainly love to go. It's definitely on the bucket list for when things start to settle down after COVID. Hopefully at some point next year, it might be something I might consider. However, I'll be honest with you, I looked at the track layout. I've raced on it on the game. And with all due respect, I'm not massively impressed. It seems like a typical street circuit that has a few overtaking opportunities, particularly the extremely long straights. But with modern Formula One and the reliance on DRS longer straights almost make it uh, less entertaining because even though you're almost you're guaranteeing overtakes it's the fact that the overtakes are almost too easy that it kind of takes the fun out of the challenge and overtaking of course we fans we're crying out for more overtaking on track action but with DRS we don't want to make it too easy and of course that very 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 long straight that leads into a hairpin loop it just doesn't resonate with me as a track that I think the drivers would very much enjoy it's still a challenge don't get me wrong on the game it is very much a challenge and you have to sort of you know drive around quite a a large number of laps before you get uh get used to it but it's certainly not a flowing street circuit like Monaco or Singapore is so I don't think it would be a fan favorite based on uh it being a driver circuit or anything like that but we'll have to wait and see what obviously as the news develops it's such a shame that after all the work that everyone involved in getting this Grand Prix on the F1 Canada has put in will may never come to fruition. They may never have the luxury of seeing a Grand Prix there, but I'm sure in due course, maybe some point in the future, we may see it in Hanoi or they may have a track elsewhere. But in terms of a financial project, it's such a shame that we're not going to see it next year. However, this does raise the opportunity for a uh, replacement Grand Prix. Of course, we are supposed to have 23 races, guys, rather than 22. So that means that one race that isn't already announced on the calendar is going to have to fill a spot. And uh, from what I understand, there are three leading contenders. There's the race, obviously, two races we've already had in Portimao and Imola. And then, of course, uh, where we're going this weekend in Istanbul, Turkey, may take their place in April. So, Courtney, I've got to ask you, out of those three... And if there's a fourth race that you might want to see instead of those three on the calendar, let me know. I mean, which one of those three would you like to see on the calendar? 
And which one do you think will be on the calendar to replace Vietnam? I think, yeah, Tur- Turkey, Turkey, obviously, for me. Um, I, just, I just love the circuit. Um, I did like Portimao as well. I'd love to see Portimao. I, I, I just, I just love, I just love the way the circuit. I just, I just love that circuit as well. Hopefully, that could be an option. But I think we need a German Grand Prix as well. I, mm. I, I, particularly Hockenheim. Hockenheim has really delivered in um, the recent seasons that it's um, taken place. And you, you need a German Grand Prix. Like the, the, the Germans are one of the biggest sets of fans of Formula One. We need, you need to have some kind of representation for them. Yeah, it's absolutely criminal. I mean, there's a few countries I think that should definitely have a Grand Prix on the calendar. And this is not me suggesting that these countries are inherently better. I think they've con- they've contributed to the history of the sport so much that it just doesn't feel right that they don't have a Grand Prix on them. And of course, Silverstone in, in the UK, absolutely, there has to be a British Grand Prix in every season of Formula One. I think it's not Formula One without the home of Formula One, um, you know, to, to put it mildly. So naturally there, Italy, most specifically Monza, has to have a Grand Prix at Monza. You've got the largest fan base, concentrated fan base anywhere in the world in one region of the country. I mean, you could have it anywhere in Italy. You'd still get the Tifosi turn up in their, in their droves, but you've got to have one in Italy. Um, Jap- Japan, I think a Japanese Grand Prix, you know, in, in terms of the Asian F1 community, Japan is the, uh, the centre of that, particularly Suzuka. has uh, had so much history in F1, deserves a Grand Prix Great on the calendar. Up. And as you mentioned already, uh, a German Grand Prix in uh, either, you know, Hockenheim or the Nürburgring or the Nordschleife race as well. You know, they've all had big moments in the Canada and Germany, believe it or not, guys, for those of you that don't know, um, the German TV audience is the largest TV audience that F1 has. It's larger than the British one. Um, for those of you that didn't know. So it almost feels like a slap in the face to those German fans that are going to watch it on television. Bear in mind, Germany still have the um, pay-per-view, I believe. They still have, they're one of the countries that do have free-to-air, but they are pay-per-view as well. So it's almost like a slap in the face to those fans that want to see a Grand Prix at their, uh, you know, a circuit in their country, and they don't get that luxury. I mean, look at the history. They've had so many different world championships won. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel, Nico Rosberg, Michael Schumacher, of course, huge contributors to F1's history. And yet, um, they don't have a race there. It, it's almost criminal why they don't have a German Grand Prix. I mean, we had one this year purely because we needed slots to be fitted. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had one. So, um, I mean, it's such a shame that they don't have a Grand Prix there. But for me, if I was picking, I would probably... Uh, it's a hard one, but I mean, as a purist, I probably would like one at Imola. Um, and it's hard because I'd love to have one at Turkey. I'd love all of them to be on the calendar. I'd love a race at Portimao. Yeah. I'd love a race at Imola to Istanbul, obviously. Uh, I mean, turn eight. I cannot, I don't know about you, Courtney. I cannot wait to see the modern day F1 cars tackle turn eight at Istanbul. And uh, I, I remember back to the last race in 2011. You know, those cars were pretty good aerodynamically where you could go a full left-hander at full speed. And that was the impressive part. You knew your car was good if you could go full throttle through a quadruple apex at turn eight. And um, But these cars are going to make mince me. I'm expecting similar to scenes to what Charles Leclerc did at 130R in the Japanese Grand Prix last season where he was mending his mirror with his right hand and uh, and he was turning 130R one-handed with his left hand. These cars are so good. They're going to absolutely make mince me of turn eight in Istanbul, but that would be fun to see. Nonetheless, it would just show how far we've come aerodynamically and perhaps we need to nerf it back a bit 
to make it more of a challenge for some of these drivers because clearly it's not challenging enough for them at the moment. But um, Agreed. Yeah, but let us know, guys. Obviously, let us know who you think or what track you would like to see on the F1 calendar to replace the Vietnamese Grand Prix. Um, We'll have to uh, wait and see what comes out of that. Um, Speaking of another race uh, under threat, may not may or may not be on the calendar we'll have to wait and see is the brazilian grand prix so for those of you eagle-eyed would have noticed that the uh, brazilian grand prix at this moment in time is scheduled to be at sao paulo interlagos where it usually always is very famous track uh, has so much f1 history embedded in it unfortunately recent years there's been major security concerns lack of government or state funding to get to keep the race on the calendar and at this point in time does not currently have a contract to host a race so technically we only have 21 races now one of the biggest reasons is uh f1 wanted to have a brazil wanted to have a race at rio de janeiro now whilst that sounds all fine and well in order to facilitate uh, the construction of the circuit will require uh, some level a level of deforestation, which you know I would never condone something uh, you know deforestation to build any level of construction, let alone a Formula One circuit. And this has been the controversial factor. Most notably, Lewis Hamilton has been very open and outspoken about this topic and says he would not be happy to have a race on the calendar which has been built through uh, deforestation and everything else especially when we're in a world right now where we're trying to promote sustainability and green energy in the sport and biofuels and more efficient workers i mean we literally talked about this in last week's episode so obviously if you want to know more about the significance of that do check that out on the channel or your favorite podcasting platform but um so back to the rio story so as a result they haven't had the planning permission to build this circuit as of yet. So they are running against very tight time constraints. I don't think they're going to have it ready in time. Hence why the calendar has been put out now for Sao Paulo. But the uh, the sticking point for Sao Paulo, Corny, is naturally you'd think it'd be, well, just set up a new contract and go straight there. The problem is Liberty Media aren't really on good terms with the race promoter, who was a very close friend of Bernie Eccleston and was not very keen in the way that Liberty Media not necessarily bought into F1, but slowly ousted Bernie out of his executive position and uh, out of the decision-making. So there's a bit of a stalemate there between those two parties to a point where we may have the possibility of not actually having a Grand Prix in Brazil this season. I mean, what are your thoughts on all of that in terms of Brazil? Um, Having a, a Grand Prix as a result of deforestation, just, just no. Like, it, it can't it can't happen. Like, we've, we've seen... I'm not going to go too deep into world politics, but we're all fully aware of what's happening to the planet and how important the rainforests are to our climate. You cannot be damaging the environment just for the sake of promoting a Grand Prix, which, in theory, damages the environment even more. Like, let, let, let's, let's, let's accept the fact of what's going on here. We know we discussed it in the last episode. Formula One need to be catching up with the direction we're heading in as a general population, and it would be it'd be a bad move. It'd be terrible PR for Formula One in general. And I'm really pleased that Lewis is because he's obviously Lewis is very um, obviously been a vegan and been an advocate for um, for the environment. Because right? that's I'm not going to make this a Lewis show as we sometimes have in the past. 
but that's that's one of the the stigmas that Lewis has attached to him. You know, he's 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 an advocate for the environment. Yet he races in a sport that obviously is very damaging to the environment. So I'm I'm pleased that he's spoken out against it very quickly. But I don't know. It, it just seems that the politics of Formula One is is, is damaging like actual races. You know, I, I completely agree with what's happened with Vietnam. You can't be having sport associated with something like that but it just seems the politics of the promoters have yet again could be costing us two races and I don't know we know there are issues with politics in Formula 1 but if it's actually affecting you know what we're what we're witnessing or what we're not being able to witness then I don't know it needs to be looked into it just seems to be it almost seems petty and to be and and to be that high up and have that much responsibility shouldn't really be happening. No, no, you're absolutely right. It shouldn't. And um, it, it is frustrating as a fan because you obviously want to see the, the best circuits and a lot of uh, famous venues like Interlagos. It's had so much history involved in the sport. Um, be removed for the calendar or us being denied a show there purely because of some, you know, quarrels between two parties that are trying to just get together and organize it i mean it can't be too much to ask but unfortunately that's kind of the state of play that we're in and politics whether we like it or not is always going to be attributed to sport and in this case formula one does have a large impact on you know political biases and people you know people's opinions on certain things it's it's a big business we have to accept that we're the customer we're the client um, you know, if we're not entertained or we're not happy, then F1 needs to do things to make that better. But there are certain obstacles that they have to face. And as we mentioned, the cash is king metaphor, if you like, as to why we have races in certain circuits that perhaps don't add as much value to our entertainment as fans as some of the classic circuits that we've seen this year in races where we've just been desperate to get a Canada together. So it, it is quite funny. We talked about this a lot in the podcast that this year's calendar could arguably be one of the best that we've ever had purely because we've been forced to have a season where most of the races have been at the old European circuits, the old classic ones. And F1 has been expanding for years and years and years now to be on a more global front rather than being a European series. And there's a lot of good in that, but obviously a lot of those circuits abroad have to try and take the hallmarks of what makes those characteristics so good of older circuits and bring them forward. And then obviously when politics comes into it, that's another obstacle. Um, speaking of politics in sport, let's talk a bit about Saudi Arabia, the race in Jeddah that we're expecting later on in the year. I believe in the calendar, if I'm right, just reminding myself, it's going to be the penultimate race of the season. So slap bang in the middle between uh, Brazil and the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as the season finale. So we've I'm not going to go too much into the issues in Saudi Arabia uh, as a state because that's the different discussion for a different podcast certainly not much to do with formula one but um what are your thoughts courtney when you first heard the news that formula one was coming to saudi arabia in jeddah um on the political level you know you're, you're spot on i don't want to go too deep into it but you know the biggest stars in formula one have they they have a responsibility to stand by what they believe in or I don't know, look look after the views of the fan base. And yet again, I think I think um well Lewis, I think Lewis is under a lot of pressure to speak up. I, it might seem weird to some people, but 
these these people are important to the drivers are, are important to so many people that they almost have a responsibility to speak up on these matters. It'd be interesting to see if anything is said. Um, but I just, I just feel the sport in general just has a responsibility to take take a step away from the bubble that they're in and, and understand the implications of the decisions they make sometimes, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, you, you, you've got to... We, we, love, we love the spectacle. You know, there's a whole point of why we're doing this episode. We're talking about what we enjoy, but there, there has to be a limit, you know. There has to be a, there has to be a human element to the decisions that they're making it. And yet again, I don't know. It just it just seems at the moment that the politics of Formula One are, are taking over the spectacle. Yet again, like, I, I feel I feel that this season has been very eye opening. I don't know about you, but it's been very eye opening for me. It, it's it's felt it's felt pure. Hmm. The racing's been better. Obviously, the circuits are a lot better. And it's it's just. There's been very few boring races. I know Lewis has been winning most of them, but in the midfield, it's been brilliant. And the circuits are going to be really important going into next season because that, that midfield battle, or even Red Bull could be in the mix. We could have some cracking Grand Prix next season. Hmm. We could have a really close battle. And the, the circuits are going to be really important. So you don't want to be seeing... You don't want to be having circuits where you just have... A, like, a, like I said about Monaco, you don't want to be having just, just watching a train for two hours because that's one of the stigmas attached to Formula 1. But it just—it just seems that I, I don't know. I think the people at Formula One need to really look at how this season has gone and how popular it's been with the fans when they look very much long-term into the kind of calendars they want going forward. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and uh, I think it's important to note that uh, you know the actions of drivers or the actual events of a Grand Prix itself does not make a track a classic circuit. I mean, I'll chuck a few examples in Abu Dhabi. When's the last time you saw a classic at Abu Dhabi? The yeah. only time in my mind where I think Abu Dhabi, you'd look at, uh, you know, a, a great finish to a race in a season was in 2016 when Lewis Hamilton was deliberately trying to back Nico Rosberg, his teammate, into rival drivers because he knew if Nico finished behind him in second, Nico would win the world championship. You know, that was brilliant, entertaining stuff to watch. But the Abu Dhabi circuit contributed nothing to that and a lot of people complain even though it's a nice place to go and it's always a cool place to finish the season as a circuit it doesn't really offer much entertaining race league, at least in modern formula one times um another grand prix another classic circuit as well that i'll bring up that might be a bit controversial but bear with me the spanish grand prix in catalonia great circuit it's been embedded in a lot of great f1 history some many fantastic moments fernando alonso obviously being the, the big talking point williams's last victory with pastor maldonado aka the goat for those of you that don't know um those that do know you know great i love you um and you know michael schumacher's first win for ferrari in the right i know you'd like that one didn't you um michael schumacher's oh, first win for ferrari um you know in 96 and in 2001, of course, Mika Hakkinen is so close to winning and then his uh, car gives way or his engine goes at the last lap in that race. So, you know, so many great moments in uh, Catalonia. Max Verstappen's first win in, for Red Bull in 2016. You know, who could forget that? So many great moments. But the track itself, it's not that great for racing. It's a test circuit, for lack of a better way. It is. It. Um, Le Castellet in France, you know, of uh, Paul Ricard, it's, it's sorry, not Paul Ricard, a, a Castellet in France. It's a test circuit. These circuits are designed for testing. Catalonia circuit, this is why they go there for pre-season testing. 
because they can test the cars in so many areas, but it's not a track that's built for great racing. And with modern day Formula One cars, let's not confuse ourselves with the idea that new regulations will make these tracks all of a sudden more exciting. The chances are it probably won't. You know, the, the actual events of the race themselves does not make a track exciting. There are certain characteristics and hallmarks of certain circuits that we know and love that make the races fantastic. Magnuson Beckett's in Silverstone, one of the best uh, phases of corners anyone's ever seen on any circuit in the world. Absolute classic. But you're, you can't tell me you wouldn't enjoy watching a British Grand Prix if the race was boring. If you're watching the race at Magnuson Beckett's, you'd love it no matter what was going on. You could see a couple of people in their vans. And that's another thing. I saw an interesting advert the other day that um, Silverstone, I think the circuit owners have done, which is really cool for those of you interested. Definitely check this out. But apparently you can turn up um, around Christmas time. I think after lockdown is finished uh, in December, turn up on the track, pay a bit of money, and you can drive in your actual car around the Silverstone circuit. I don't know about you, but that sounds amazing. I might have to go down yeah, there and if do anybody, that. Yeah, if, if anybody's listening and they love us and the stuff we do so much, feel free to take us for the Silverstone experience. <laughs> yeah, we'll get a couple of cars and we'll race down there. But it's a serious, genuine thing. And, you know, it's such a great circuit. You know, so many great places to go on the F1 Canada. And I absolutely agree. Um, but there are certain races that people remember fondly about certain tracks that are like boring tracks to go to. But it doesn't make the circuit great. And... I think the big problem F1 has, and feel free if you don't agree with me or not, Corny, but the big problem F1 has is that money has become too much of an essential motivator to bring certain circuits to um, the calendar. And the, these circuits now design runoff areas. Obviously, the safety element is important, but most of the places we go, like Abu Dhabi, for example, it's a glorified test circuit. You know, if, if it wasn't a test circuit, why are there so many different layouts of the circuit? Why are the runoff areas so major? I mean, in Le Castellet, they did different levels of um, AstroTurf to change the grip levels on the outside of the circuit to make it more challenging. Why not just stick loads of gravel traps around the outside? Of course, it's not a, sa a safe issue, but it's those hallmarks of certain circuits that make them much more enjoyable, more fun to watch that extra added challenge, that thrill to it where a driver can be one small error away from ending up in the gravel trap or out of the race. That's what fans want to see, whether they like it or not. It's an, maybe it's an unpopular opinion. I don't know, but I just feel that there are certain circuits on the Canada like Catalonia, um, like even Abu Dhabi to some regard and Le Castellet that I don't think belong on the F1 Canada. You know, some people may like them. I don't, I think those races are boring and they don't really add much to the overall show on the F1 Canada. Well, what about you, Corny? Rant over. No, I agree with you, mate. Um, no, no, I do. I, I agree because it, it's one thing having these circuits on the calendar, but if we're missing out on some, some of these great circuits, like, you know, like we've mentioned Imola, we've mentioned Imola in Turkey plenty of times. I think people know which circuits we like now, mm. but we're missing out on circuits like that. Um, like Hockenheim, we're missing out on these circuits because there's only there's only so many positions available. So yeah, there's there's a little bit of like almost bad feeling to all these circuits because we're we're missing out on great venues just for the sake of circuits that are there for the grand org, shall we say? Yeah, you know, and that's I don't know. I, like people are into certain sports for different reasons. I I'm I'm not. I don't tune in the Formula One to watch rich people sip champagne on live television. I watch Formula One for good racing. 
Yeah, it's not Wimbledon. You know. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, no, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And uh, for those of you that uh, um, have been wondering for a while about Courtney's ensemble, seems to be rocking that. Well, that's his uh, outfit from work. So uh, make sure to give that a like because that is a lovely looking little hat there. Got to love that. Oh, stop it. You're making me shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drop a like in for Courtney's hat and Ensemble as well. So, um, but obviously, <laughs> going back, to, so going back to the Saudi Arabia thing, I've, I forgot to mention on this as well, but you know, I talked about previous events that Saudi Arabia's hosted recently, um, like you know, the WWE wrestling, uh, the boxing, uh, football events as well. And now Formula One is going there as well. Not to get too political, but in that time since those events there have been some improvements to the civil rights situation and human rights in those countries you know women have been granted more rights now of course first things first this is not me condoning um saudi arabia as a nation or anything like that or even scrutinizing i'm not gonna i'm gonna be completely impartial on this but obviously equality is equality and we all stand for that and we all want equality for all walks of life, regardless of your race, gender, sexual orientation, all of that. But Saudi Arabia have been making steady improvements. It's got a long way to go. It really, really does. But it's encouraging to see that sport is making an impact. And I genuinely believe as a fan that sport is making an impact on Saudi Arabia as a nation, as a sovereign, um, you know, and what they uh, what they need to do in order to make the right strides to become uh, a nation in in a lot of ways like everybody else and sport is very powerful Nelson Mandela um back in uh, the rugby world cup in South Africa uh, back in the mid 90s I can't remember what year it was exactly I think it might be 96 uh, or 95 or something I don't know rugby fans if you're watching and I'm wrong feel free to quote me on this but um or feel, to correct me I should say but he said that sport has the power to change the world you know in a nutshell and it really, really does. I think the way that these sports have come to Saudi Arabia um, brought the eyes of the world on them. And I believe it's definitely influenced change. And I think Formula One, with their campaigns for diversity, inclusion, equality, We Race as One, the Black Lives Matter movements, everything that we've seen this year from Formula One drivers and some of these dancers that they're taking does have a platform, a very large global platform to try and enact change for the better in somewhere like Saudi Arabia. So I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, F1 shouldn't go to Saudi Arabia. It's all about the money. Yes, on the surface, it probably is. But give it a chance to see what impact that they can make in order to make Saudi Arabia a better place for the people that live there, for all walks of life there. Because let's be honest, guys, if Saudi Arabia was not willing to budge or improve on those things, F1 wouldn't go there. We've already seen evidence from what's gone on in Brazil at the moment, what's gone on in Vietnam, the F1, especially Liberty Media. Um, you know, they're taking the stance where we're not happy with this. We're not going to race there. If it was Bernie Eccleston, and we all love Bernie, but Bernie was very much a maverick and he would have races. Or he'd have a race in Antarctica if someone was able to or on the moon, if someone was able to pay him the money to have it there. And he'd make a hell of a brilliant show of it you know that's what we loved about bernie he was no nonsense a businessman and just got stuff done but you know the world is such a different place now and obviously certain factors have to be accounted for so i would say for those of you that aren't happy about it going to saudi Arabia, just give it a chance don't judge it on face value let's have a look at what they can do and if the sport doesn't make the desired impact then judge them on what they do next if they decide to pull out and leave it alone and see what happens then fine if they stay then 
any criticism you may have on their morals or their moral compass, if you like, then throw it at them then. But I just say, give it a chance and see what it can do. Because I do think sport is making some level of change in Saudi Arabia. It's got a long way to go, but I think sport is definitely making that impact so far. So uh, that's the monologue part of the episode from yours truly on that one. Um, last thing I think we should cover, Courtney, we, we talked about circuits. We, we'd like to see replace the Vietnamese Grand Prix in April, but uh, just a few um, Grand Prix. I thought we could talk about. Oh, that, um, well, I'm going to ask you actually, and, and also guys, this is once for you as well. So put in the comment section, um, the question is going to be what Grand Prix and this doesn't have to be F1 Grand Prix from past, present or future. What Grand Prix would you like to see included to the F1 calendar in the future? It could be, you know, any sort of Grand Prix you can think of. It could be even down your local kart track if you wanted for all giggles and that. But put it in the comment section below. And let us know. Um, Courtney, I'm going to put that question to you first. Um, give me a couple of circuits. What tracks would you like to see added to the F1 calendar? OK, it's quite specific, but I would like to see the old version of Hockenheim. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see what you're going for. They're the yeah. pre-2002 version. Okay, I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I'd, I'd go for that. Um, I, I just feel that some of the circuits we've seen this season, like I've, I've, I just think this season has really opened up my eyes to what I like to see from a race. Mm. Um, trying, to, trying to think of some of the races that we've had. Jeez. God, you put me on the spot here. But yeah, definitely... <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Old, old, um, the old version of Hockenheim. Um, I'm gonna be old fashioned, and I, and I don't know how modern Formula Ones would take to it, but I really do. I really do like the old. You know, like I, I was, I particularly love the James Hunt, Nicky Lauda story, and the the first circuit that springs to my mind is Brands Hatch. Oh, I'd love to yeah. see Brands Hatch. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the modern cars would get on there, though. That's the thing that puts me off it. But oh, I'd love to see it. Even if it's just a one-off, I'd love to see it. I've driven uh, a Formula 3 spec car round Brands Hatch, or Formula Renault car, I should say, round Brands Hatch. It's such a good circuit. It's a fun circuit to drive on. That challenge, you know, the hill down into from turn one. And, yeah, you're right. It's a great circuit to go on. And I'd love to see the Formula 1 cars have a go on it. But um, I agree with you. It's probably these days more a circuit settled for junior categories uh the formula yeah. cars will probably be too much for there or too wide but as there might be an unpopular opinion on that one uh, anything else i think they're, they're the two i think I've, I've been put on the spot enough so i'm gonna stick <laughs> with those two adam okay <laughs> so what about well, you i'm gonna throw a few at you um bathurst in australia bathurst circuit great circuit for touring cars australian uh, racing championships it's a street circuit but it's a circuit uh, that goes up and down the mountains and it's a real driver circuit it's hosted a lot of endurance events as well for those of you um may not necessarily be from down under though for those of you that are hi hi down there whichever time you're watching this podcast great to have you along but um you guys would know exactly what i'm talking about when i mentioned bathurst it's such a great circuit with those challenges i'm not doing it justice i'm not selling it well enough i'm sure you guys will know it much better than i but having raced on it in certain games and seen certain series where they do race at bathurst it looks like such a good track and i think formula one cars would do well there i mean jensen button did a demonstration there and set the lap record at Bathurst. I think Sebastian Vettel said, I'd love to go there, but the F1 cars would just fly off the bumps, particularly at long straight in the final sector as a few chicanes towards the end. Such a good track to go to. I'd definitely recommend that. Um, I'd like to see a return 
to the Canada for Magni Corps in France. Um, replaced the circuit of Le Castellet. I always loved Magni Corps. I always thought it was a great circuit there. It's um, funny enough, it was the scene where Michael Schumacher won, I believe, his fifth world title in Ferrari there. It's a famous track there. And um, Sepang in Malaysia. I think that was yeah, a really good I'll circuit. I miss Sepang. Definitely a race that had so many great memories. Definitely like to see that. The Nordschleife as well, as like a one-off spec event, I suppose. Although Jackie Stewart, so Jackie Stewart, I should say, referred to it as the Green Hell. And of course, we haven't had a race there since uh, Nicky Lauder's uh, infamous accident many years ago in 1975, I believe. And uh, also Donington Park. I mentioned Donington Park earlier in the podcast. Um, Donington Park, I always remember the 1993 European Grand Prix, the Sonic race, if you like, um, also known as the uh, venue for one of the greatest opening laps you'll ever see in your life. And if you haven't ever seen it, I definitely recommend check it out on YouTube. Just put in Ayrton Senna lap one, 1993 European Grand Prix at Donington Park or something along those lines. And you will see one of the greatest first laps ever in the wet Ayrton Senna literally coming to the front in his McLaren. It was literally was as if Sonic the Hedgehog was just running past everyone in wet conditions. And we are talking quality drivers in OP cars like Mansell and Prost in the Williams. Uh, oh, sorry, not, but yeah, Matt, uh, Hill and Prost in the Williams, just to say Schumacher in the Benetton, you know, so many great drivers of that era. And Ayrton Senna just made them look like they were absolutely rubbish at Donington Park. Went on to win that race as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think Donington would be nice change. It's a shame that in 2010, as I mentioned earlier, that they couldn't get the race to go ahead because of the money issues. But I think you and I would agree, Corny, where Silverstone has gone leaps and bounds now, it literally is the home of the British Grand Prix and one of my favourite circuits on the calendar. So, um, but as I said, guys, let us know in the comments below what circuits you would like to see included on the F1 calendar. And remember, it doesn't have to be an F1 circuit. It could be any sort of racing circuit that you can think of, but do let us know. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Nice little discussion about the calendar, but of course, let us know what you think about the uh, race or the former Vietnamese Grand Prix, what race you'd like to see replace that and uh, what other races you'd like to see included as well. But of course, don't forget, to follow the podcast on social media of course the twitter and instagram handles dnf1 underscore podcast and of course facebook and youtube as well dnf1-f1 podcast make sure to like share and subscribe if you like this video and of course for more great content we've got in the future so to write it all off courtney it was meant to be a shorter episode we did go on a little bit or at least i certainly did but um thanks again for joining me once again and co-hosting this episode no, i loved it and uh yeah thank you very much guys for tuning in and enjoying it so uh yeah stay safe thanks for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon Network.